Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is episode 36 of the Archerpreneur Now podcast, and I am your host, Heath Armstrong, and today I've got an amazing creative spirit for you, Beth Sistrunk. She is a master of the oil paintings, living down there in the lovely Naples, Florida, We're going to get into how she ended up down there after growing up in a rural community in southeastern Ohio and how setting her goals and making a little bit of progress toward them every single day really catapulted her life to follow what she loves as a creative, as an oil painter. This is The Entrepreneur Now. All the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 36 and illegal. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stinky, stinky, rickety, dickety beat. Yeah. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Get on with your bad self. Do your ears hang low? Do they wobble to the front? Ooh-wee. Because you better get them up front and center for our creative guest today. Because she's bringing down the house with her oil paintings out of Naples, Florida. Everybody give it up for Beth Sistrunk. Beth, you are the entrepreneur now. What is happening? Not much. Just, you know, painting up a storm and loving every minute of it. And that is what we are all about, following your passion, following your dream. Whatever it is that excites you, just get out there, take a step forward and do it because you can get to a point where you're doing it full time. And I am super pumped to have you on the show today, Beth. Thank you. I'm truly honored. You were introduced to me via Veronica Winters, who's a previous guest, and you can check out her episode at artsynow.com forward slash Veronica Winters. And she's also in the Naples, Florida area. And you both work with oils a lot. And I know she does some other kind of artwork as well, but it's extremely detailed and beautiful artwork. I mean, seriously beautiful. And I can't even imagine you know, the, the thought process and the creativity that's exploding in your head to be able to produce these types <laughs> of artwork. So I highly suggest everybody get on, you know, both their websites and, and check this stuff out because it's astonishing. And Beth has been all over national and international exhibitions. Uh, in 2013, I see you won an award of merit from the, Na- the National Oil and Acrylic Painter Society. I uh, did, yes. Yeah, for the recipe for a beautiful day, w- which is amazing. And you can check that out. That is on the site, right? Yes, yes, it's definitely on the site. (laughs) And she's got the Creative Achievement Award for Essence of the Sea at the Tempe Center of Arts and the most recent juried International Guild of Realism exhibition. So tons (laughs) and tons of awards and affiliations on her site, and that's bethsistrunk.com. Get on there, do a little jive, do a little boogie-woogie, check (laughs) it out. Uh, And there must be something in the water down there in Naples because the the work is magnificent, so detailed. Uh, And... uh, I really personally love the companionship one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was um, one that I completed last December. Um, 
it was, you know, part of a new series, but, you know, I'm moving away from a little bit of snow at this point <laughs> with the strong winter we had last year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot to do with symbolism and kind of, you know, relationships oriented. I don't want to give away all the symbolism, but it's definitely one of my most popular paintings right now. Yeah, and they're all they're all amazing, but I don't know how you can have a terrible winter down in Naples when you grew up in Ohio. <laughs> well, I hear about it from my family, and then <laughs> the visitors come down and they talk in my studio, and you know they're they're tired of winter, and so it kind of rubs off a little bit. It's like okay, well, you know, maybe I should take a break from the winter scenes for right now, and plus, you know, it's not really where my heart is. It was you know more of the summer scenes is where I want to be right now. Yeah, absolutely. So how I want to start out with this. How long have you been creating artwork? I mean, as a child, were you were you into oils and did you start out with that type of creating or do you feel and, and do you feel like creating is something that you absolutely cannot live without at this point? Yeah, um definitely something that I cannot live without at this point. It's, you know, something that just happens um, all the time. I, I might see a beautiful scenery in a movie or a book or go to the botanical gardens or um, maybe I'm visiting somewhere and I just, you know, I get this image of a painting that flashes in my mind and, you know, they, they kind of um, each push in, in, your, in your conscious until you get them out on canvas. <laughs> um, and usually the one that speaks to me the loudest is the, the next one that I do. Um, but no, as, as a child, actually, my, one of my first memories is drawing um, with crayons in the car. And I think it was somewhere around two or three years old. Um, but I, I did spend my childhood, my teens drawing a lot. I mean, I did a lot of other things. I was um, really involved with science and animals and music. I played trumpet and piano and it was in the choir and things like that. So, I, the, you know, those types of creative things were always in my life. So definitely not something I could live without. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your, you know, how you got to the point that you're at and really what the turning point was where you decided that you really wanted to be an artist full time? Oh, sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I grew up in rural Southeast Ohio, um, farming and coal mining community and, um, Drawing and painting was something that I did then, but I didn't really realize that it was something that I could choose as a profession. So I was really more interested in being maybe a potentially a veterinarian or a marine biologist because I really had a, a strong love and affinity for the sciences, the hard sciences. Um, so it wasn't something that I realized that I could even potentially do until I got to college. Um, and I don't think I even really we didn't have museums, you know, in rural Southeast Ohio, there's, there's really wasn't art, you know, in, in the sense that I know it now um, and how it exists in the world. It was, you know, something that I came across my cousin, she got me involved um, in taking my first painting class when I was actually studying um, to be potentially a veterinarian. Um, and then I ended up loving it so much that I changed to graphic design, but that really wasn't quite it for me either. You know, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. Um, and I spent my twenties working in finance and doing some art in the evenings, but you know, 
about four, four, I think it was about four years ago, I realized, you know what, maybe I should really do, I'm really loving art and I really think I should give it a shot. Um, and an opportunity came up that I was able to then pursue my work. And it was, it was really actually very scary, <laughs> you know, cause you don't know, you know, I was in finance for so long and operations and compliance, you know, supervising rules and regulations and make sure they were followed. And it was, you know, it was a great job, but it's not very, there's not a lot of room for creativity in that sort of field. <laughs> and so, you know, I think the biggest concern in my mind was, am I creative enough to do this? And, you know, am I going to be able to regain the skills that I had lost? Because there wasn't a lot of time for me to draw or paint when I was in my twenties. Um, and so, it, you know, I did have quite a lot of work to learn how to draw again, to really gain that dexterity and the eye-hand coordination to be able to do these, you know, the, the detailed work. Um, and so that's kind of where I started in, in learning was building up those skills of, you know, perspective and drawing and um, human anatomy, physiology to help with figure painting. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question, but... <laughs> Yeah. So when you first got started and you were trying to get over that fence of transitioning, you know, from your yeah. job to doing this full time, I'm sure yeah. there was a lot of struggles there. Uh, I mean, definitely with, with definitely. trying to sustain a living doing it. What are some things that you could tell our audience, you know, some of these listeners out there that would love to be able to take this transition as well? You know, what are some tips or, or some, you know, heads up? Uh, of some things that you think that they could find some serious value in that you actually had to experience? Um, yeah, it's definitely, you have to overcome sometimes your, your friends and family, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, they, they think, well, you know, that's great, but you need something to fall back on. <laughs> but I think it was, I saw an inner, you know, Jim Carrey was giving a speech at um, a graduation and he was saying how his father went with the safe route, the, the accounting route. But his, his main message was that, you know, you can still fail. You know, 10 years into his accounting career, he got fired. And then, you know, that was the safe choice. So um, I guess in that, no matter what you do, there's always the opportunity for failure. But I think if you really, truly love what you do, you're going to work very, very hard. And I think it lends itself to, you know, that hard work to give you the potential for greater success and greater happiness. Um, so that was definitely something that I had to overcome. Um, yeah. I got a lot of pushback from some close friends that said, I don't know about this. <laughs> I know. And it's so true because everybody loves to conform to tradition and, and they yeah. obviously are just saying that stuff because they truly do care about you, but they right. just aren't thinking the other way around. And that Jim Carrey video is amazing because he yeah. does talk about his father, who was, he said the, you know, the best comedian he ever met, but he never went for his dreams. And he said that if you can fail doing something that you don't love, then you might as well do something that you do love, which, yes. you know, which is fantastic. And I mean, I, it just pumps me up and that video is awesome. So I'm, I probably post that on the show notes so everybody can watch it if you haven't seen it. So that that's a great tip of advice, Beth. Yes. But, you know, one person that always believed in me was my husband. And he is an amazing man. And I'm so lucky to have him and his support. Sometimes I think he believes in me more than I believe in myself, you know, at my darkest moments. 
painting's not quite going right or you know you don't get into that important show that you really want to be in and he's always there with that positive energy and supportiveness that I just I can't thank him enough for that <laughs> yeah absolutely do you do you have any um, favorite influencers or, or creative works that you want to share with us like let's get to know your creative side a little bit what, what are some of your favorite artworks or artists Sure. Uh, or music or anything along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the, the best things that I do in, you know, my creations every day is listen to some music that I just find absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, relaxing to listen to, really gets me in the mood to paint. And that's um, the music of Italian composer Ludovico Einaudi. Um, his works are just amazing. You got to check them out. And it's great, great work to paint too. Um, I just, I set up a Pandora station with it and, you know, the stuff that comes with just his name is great. Um, other things is Antonio Canova. He has this absolutely gorgeous marble sculpture that he did. I think it was sometime around 1787 and it's in the Louvre and it's called, um, Psyche Revived by Cupid's Kiss. And it just seems like no matter what angle you look at this sculpture, it's just beautiful and absolutely graceful. And it captures this really sweet moment between Psyche and Cupid. And I just absolutely love it. Um, but as far as painters go, I have so many painters that it would be too long to list. But I have to you know, name my top two historical painters as um, Waterhouse and also Bouguereau. Um, they're both from the 19th century and ones in which I draw a lot of inspiration from. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Yeah, um, Waterhouse, he, I think, especially his later works from about 1888 on, he was greatly inspired by the earlier pre-Raphaelite movement, I think. And there's something so romantic and beautiful in the way that he adds, you know, just these perfect touches of flowers and colors um, in the settings and the scenes. I think my favorite one of his is um, a painting called St. Cecilia. And there's these two angels kneeling, playing stringed instruments, and then St. Cecilia has fallen asleep in a chair in a garden, um, reading a book. I believe it might be the Bible. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but it's just, it just really captures what I think is just inspirational art to me. <laughs> and then, of course, William Bouguereau, his figures are to die for. I mean, the skin is just so supple and beautiful and his compositions and his drawing is perfect. And it's just something that you can really look up to and, and strive for in your own work on both of them. Um, and I would say some modern day painters that, that I really, um, really, really, really look up to are Jacob Collins and the Grand Central Academy. Um, the students that were with him in his Water Street Atelier days, you know, they, they just have something special. And they've done so much for art. Like Graydon Parrish has come up with how to use Munsell color. Um, and it really helps, especially new students, um, artists who have been painting for a while, the whole gamut, to really have a better understanding of how to use color and how to understand color as they're mixing and painting. And there, you know, there are a lot of great artists under that um, Grand Central Academy in New York City um, stable house that is, are just absolutely incredible. Oh, I really look up to them as painters. Yeah. Slam, bam. Thank you, man. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, de definitely thank you for sharing those. And I will post all of that in the show notes on artsynow.com 
forward slash Beth Sistrunk. And yeah, you got me, you got my energy flowing now. I'm a little pumped up. <laughs> you, you told us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are, but I, I want to transition and ask you, you know, what, do, what do you think some of your ultimate long-term goals are, how you want to develop as a creative, you know, where do you see yourself in the future? Sure. Sure. I think probably my biggest goal and it might take me an entire lifetime and then, and then some afterwards is to have one piece in a, in like a permanent collection in a museum. Um, but I think I have a lot of work in order to get there. So, you know, one of the, the things that I, I do is to first write down my goals and really identify where I am and where I want to go. Um, and I've done that. And I, I also hired a teacher, one of the actual artists from the Grand Central Academy who lives in the Southwest Florida area. And he's really helping me work on some of the weaknesses, some of the things that I was kind of frustrated with in my own work. Um, and that, I think that's really important to find a teacher whom you respect and admire their work and let them help you along your journey because they can take you down paths that you would have never thought possible and help you really achieve your goals. Um, you know, you, you still got to put in the work, but, um, it's definitely important to, to find a great teacher. And oh, it's I huge. Think, I mean, the power of mentors is, is in, it's insane to even think about, you know, before I even started doing stuff on the side, I, I always knew that I had it in me to do it and that what I really wanted and what I really desired, you know, was a life to where, you know, I could freely work from a computer doing web design, doing mobile apps, doing these podcasts, but I didn't know how to get there. And it all starts with just asking somebody for help. Mm -hmm. You find those people that you admire and you just ask them because they want to help you. So do not be scared of that because I guarantee you, even if you asked 10 different people, who cares if you get rejected by some? Who cares if you don't get responses from some? Because some of them will respond to you. And those are the ones that will open new doors for you and shed some light and ultimately change your life. Absolutely. It's so important. I mean, they're such a wonderful resource. It's really doing it yourself a disservice to just try to do it all alone. It's And I can't speak highly enough of my teacher. Um, he really helps me a lot. Um, but, you know, I think in... There's other aspects of the goals, like um, putting together a body of work that I would be inspired by. And, you know, it maybe sounds a little silly but <laughs> and a little hard to do, but it also helps me push myself to get to higher and higher heights in accomplishment in my own work. Um, and I think one of the things earlier on, it was really, I didn't know what I wanted to paint. I knew that I wanted to paint. But I didn't know what or what I wanted to say with it. And um, I also lacked the skills to to kind of communicate my ideas on on the painting surface. So, you know, that that does get back to, you know, getting a good teacher and really working on the fundamentals. And so I even I, I work on the fundamentals every week and try to strengthen you know my abilities so that I'll be able to fully realize my creative vision someday. <laughs> Yeah, can you give us an example of some of these fundamentals that you work on and, and these habits that you kind of develop to stay focused on that long-term goal? Sure, sure. You know, keeping keeping your goals in front of you. Um, and one of the things that really helps me is being able to analyze my own work and realize where I fall short and then work on those. Um, and that, you know, I think drawing is something, no matter how accomplished you are, 
that if you don't work on it constantly, you begin to slide backwards and you begin to lose that a little bit. And so, you know, he showed me a new way of drawing and thinking about what I was drawing that was really helpful. Um, also, you know, when you're painting an object, you know, try to understand, I guess, the three-dimensional shape of it and how the light interacts. Um, but, you know, not just copying what you see, but, you know, really understanding how, like, a cheek kind of rolls downward towards the jaw. Um, I guess it, it's kind of an abstract idea, um, but a realism application. And understanding how to kind of communicate what I'm seeing and what I'm understanding in paint. And, it, you know, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of focus. So. You know, that's great stuff because I know we have listeners out there that are looking for that value. And they say, I guess, one of the hardest things that you can draw or, or do oil is, you know, like a, a glass of water sitting on a table with light shining <laughs> on it. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I guess everybody has their own challenges. For me, it's, it's um, figures and, you know, getting thinking sculpturally about the figure as if you could walk around it and really truly understand its three-dimensional shape. Um, glass was one of my favorite things to paint when I used to do the still lives. And, it, you know, in the beginning, it was very challenging, but I guess now the water in a glass is, I don't know, pales in comparison to the challenges that I see in the figure. <laughs> it's a good starting point. Yeah, it is. Can, it is. Can you give our audience, especially the visual artists out there that might be into these drawings or into oil paintings, a little bit of insight about your techniques as an artist, because we love to hear about the technicalities of your work. Uh, you know, even yeah. if it gets into what kind of tools you use and things like that. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, you know, there, there was this great blog that I read. Um, they were talking about how process really affects your, your final outcome. Um, and they were referencing actually one of my favorite artists, William Bouguereau and, and, you know, his methodology and how he went about theoretically went about, you know, working his things. And it was uh, the muddy colors blog. Um, that's where, I, you know, ah, you can cut the part out. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Told you it would happen. Anyway. Yeah. It's, um, the muddy colors blog is a great resource about, you know, process and things that it, it has, um, an illustrative focus, but I think it's really, um, for any visual artist, but they were talking about how your process will affect your final results. And so what I do before I even start painting is it may take me about six months to really kind of refine an idea, you know, how I want to arrange the figures, what symbolism that I want to incorporate and how I'm going to do that visually. Um, and so I do a lot of sketches, um, some in black and white to kind of get the pattern of lights and darks, because a lot of times that's what draws your eye initially to a painting, um, across the room is that light and dark relationship. So I want to make sure that I have a really strong structure, a really strong, um, composition, um, for the painting before I even start. And that can take me about six months sometimes <laughs> before I feel like, okay, this is exactly what I want to say. This is exactly how I want to say it. Um, and so doing those preliminary studies definitely lends to a strengthening of the final product. And then after that, I start with um, putting paper, putting paint on to my surface that I use. Um, I use aluminum panel and I prepare them myself. And then from there, I do a pretty detailed drawing 
and I tone my canvas um, based on that tonal relationship that I established earlier as you know my first underpainting and then I do another underpainting over top of that where it's um, I think they call it a fraudy or something like that where you know you've got you kind of establish the darks a little more strongly at this point and your lights and you start to really get the sense of the lighting and the composition. And then I go in with a couple of layers, maybe two, three layers of full color um, to finish off the painting. So I know like William Bouguereau, he would also take time and I do this often myself where the most important elements of the painting are practiced thoroughly before you get to the final painting so that you can really solve and work out any problems in this study before you get to your final. Um, for instance, he might do like a study of hands and make sure he's got the pose just right. And a lot of times the portrait aspect of the painting, you know, the, the person's face and their hands are what really People really look at that. And if there's something wrong, people are going to know. <laughs> it's really obvious. So, you know, doing a full color, full study, almost like a portrait of the person who's in the painting before I even get to the final work is something that I find really lends itself to improving the final product of, you know, the major painting that I'm working on. So um, I think though that's the gist of my process. I do use oil paints and the only medium that I use is... Um, just either regular walnut oil or um, sun-thickened walnut oil or heat-bodied walnut oil. It's really simple. Um, there's not a, not a lot that I add to it. <laughs> you are blowing my mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was very, very good answer to that question. You got into so much detail. I think everybody is going to find value in that. So we really appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think the best advice that you have ever received about being more creative is? I don't know. I don't think I've ever gotten advice. <laughs> just you just develop the talent over time. Right? No, I mean, in, it's probably in terms of like things that I've read. I would say the best book hands down is creative illustration by Andrew Loomis. Um, that has so much to do with, storytelling, um, taking you through compositional designs, through everything from line, tone, color, um, and really I, you know, developing your ideas fully. Um, and then he moves on to talking about um, dramatic, you know, adding dramatic interest in your, your creative work, whether it be an illustration, a painting, um, whatever it is, through, you know, the way you're posing or you're lighting, or maybe you've got this dreamy landscape atmosphere with some misties off in the, <laughs> off in the distance. But I think that book by Andrew Loomis, that's probably one of the things that I read about a year and a half ago that really helped me to start to hone in on exactly what I wanted to say in my own creative voice. And I can't you know, thank Andrew Loomis enough <laughs> for that book. So, um, Yes. Some artists really have this amazing underlying talent to convey messages through their artwork. Whether the audience can perceive that same message or not, it usually has a story behind each individual mm -hmm. piece of art. Would you say that there is some somewhat of a message that you try to convey when you're creating? Oh, definitely. I always have a narrative story in mind. Um, 
And I think it adds more interest to the work. People connect with it more, even though they might see the story as something different based on their own life experiences. Uh, the general message comes through and they feel the emotional impact of what I'm trying to say. And, you know, it's something that takes a lot of focus and you've really got to think about how you're even posing, you know, the model or how you position them in the, in the painting itself can have a great impact on that final emotional or, you know, narrative element of the painting. So definitely, um, I think the, the work that I'm most drawn to also has that kind of, um, a strong narrative element to it because it, it makes it fun. You get to kind of explore the symbolism in it and think about it. And, you know, other than, other than just, um, looking at this beautiful painting, there's, there's like, there's more substance to it. There's more to it than meets the eye and on first glance. And, you know, in my own work, I like to hide just these little things. <laughs> like mine has um, this, this hummingbird that's hidden in wisteria above the scene that I'm painting. And on first glance, you won't see it at all. But if you're sitting there and you're looking, you'll find some of the other little secret things. Like there's a, there's a four leaf clover hidden and it's little things like that <laughs> that I yeah. think add interest. To a painting, Absolutely. other than just you know, the the narrative that I'm trying to convey. One of my favorite artists is uh, Stanley Donwood, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's no. out of England, but he his stories that I can just feel the power from his paintings. I'm like, wow! I wonder what was going through his head when he was making this, because uh, you know there is some kind of conveying story that he's he's putting into this artwork, and I would love if one day he just decided that he was going to write a book explaining every one of his pieces of art <laughs> like, yeah, here take all my money. <laughs> so I'm going to get into the big bad artist block right now. And I know this is a, a question that gets thrown a lot around a lot and some people do, and some people don't experience it, but do you ever run into blocks where you feel like you're having a hard time creating what you want to and how do you deal with that in a sense of getting back into your funky little groove? Well, I I don't think I've ever had like a true block other than, you know, realizing in my own work that, you know, I was painting the still lives and, you know, they're, they're beautiful. They're, they're wonderful. People love them, but I just felt like something was missing. And I, maybe that was like the closest I've been to um, experiencing a block. Um, and it took me a good, you know, four or five months of focusing, what do I really want to do? And, you know, I, I started looking on Pinterest and creating boards of inspiration, things that I just found beautiful. And, you know, within a couple of months, it really, I, I started noticing these really strong themes and of, of things that I loved. And so now I'm kind of putting all of that together into a body of work that um, I will be probably painting, you know, maybe for the next 10 years. Um, but I think Pinterest was a good tool to really help me to find, you know, kind of what I wanted to say, not necessarily using any of the pictures because I, you know, I take my own photography, I hire models, I go out to, you know, Lake Morton near Orlando where there's a hundred swans and take like 800 pictures of swans, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But for the most part, I don't know that I've ever really experienced a block. So um, other than really trying to figure out what I wanted to ultimately say with these skills that I had acquired. 
Yeah, it's very interesting to hear any, everybody's take on it because I've talked to some people who say, no, absolutely not. I, I'm always free-flowing creative. And then I talk to others that are like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll start painting and I, I dislike it so much. I paint white over it and everybody that has seen the painting loved it and they get all mad at me. And I'm like, it's, it's just very interesting to look at the different angle from uh, the different people that I converse with. Yeah, I mean, maybe because I do so much preliminary work going into it, you know, if it's worth painting, it's worth planning. <laughs> but I never really, I've never painted over something. Um, maybe, you know, I realize, well, I wish I would have painted this or that a little better. And that's a little disappointing for me. But um, I learn from it. And, you know, I, I work on it. And I get make sure that it's not a problem in the next painting. Um, yeah. And that's a brilliant technique to have. You know, you, yeah. you put all the time in up front and, and you know that it's going to pan out like that in the end, which is uh, f- fabulous. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, you know, what, what is one thing you would do differently if you if you could start all over? Um, I don't know. It's, you know, it's easy to get caught up in a trap of rethinking your past and, and things like that. But maybe hiring a teacher sooner um, would be something that I would do, or maybe, you know, exposing my younger self to the beautiful work in the Metropolitan Museum of Art with like an amazing painter like Jacob Collins or maybe Graydon Parrish to kind of take me by the hand and show me <laughs> these things so that I would have started at a much younger age. Because um, I'm sure I would have loved it, but you know, you never know. Um, it could change your path and you might not end up where you are now. And, um, you know, I'm kind of I, I like where my life is right now and where I'm headed and I wouldn't want to accidentally change something. <laughs> if you could spend one hour or a little bit of time, because some have a little problem with one hour, but especially <laughs> when you're, when you're creating a piece of art, but if you could spend some time with somebody, with anyone from the past or present, who would it be and what would you create? Hmm. That's a difficult question because there's so many artists that I really love and it, it really comes down to either Waterhouse or Bruguerot and who would I want to spend a day with um, or an hour. <laughs> you know, in, in some respects, I think watching Bruguerot's process would be extraordinarily valuable. <laughs> but the romanticism and the narratives that Waterhouse conveys so are just you know, and being there for the development of the story would be amazing. So it's hard for me to choose two, one out of those two. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you both of them. How about Yay. that? <laughs> you won the lottery today. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Beth, we're getting to the closing uh, time here. And so I've got to roll into these questions and I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show and you've done nothing but just bullet point value to our listeners. So I really appreciate that. And I know they do too, but if you had to battle Godzilla, how would you use your creativity or talents to defeat that big bastard? (laughs) Well, you know, initially I was thinking maybe paint a mural that would fool him, but, um, you know, I might just end up feeding him my lead white oil paint and call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> straight straight stealth and to the point yes <laughs> and you better hope that you give him a high enough dose to take him down because if you don't you might be in some trouble you know he likes radiation so i might be in trouble <laughs> <laughs> that's true 
Do you have any favorite, you know, closing advice that you want to share with our listeners or, or resources or tools that you think they could find value in? Sure. I think probably the most important thing is to really, really spend quality practice time with developing the fundamental skills because um, I think one of the worst things as an artist is to have this wonderfully creative idea that you have in your mind and then be limited by your own lack of skill and be able, able to achieve that creative vision. It's just, I think there's nothing worse than that. So really work on the fundamentals and build yourself a, a strong foundation because you, know, you might have the best creative idea in the world, but if it's not executed well, then it's just a poorly executed idea. Um, and I can't stress that enough that, you know, working on the fundamentals with a teacher and with whom you respect and admire. Um, some of the, the tools that I think are really great are, you know, going to places like the, the Atelier's um, Grand Central Academy in New York City or Sadie Valeri's um, studio out in California. Um, and, of course, there's Florence and um, the Annie Art Academies with their language of drawing or language of painting. If you can't go um, to a school, they really focus on these um, absolutely formulated um, exercises to build those fundamental skills, even down to separating out um, eye-hand coordination from the entire painting and drawing process so that you're developing those fundamentals in a very strong way very early on. Um, and that was, yeah, any art academies, Anthony Watchfulis and his group, they, they really did a, a knock, knockout job um, creating these um, courses that you can take. And then there's also an online forum where you can talk talk to Anthony and his stable of artists who are just wonderfully generous with their time and knowledge and really dedicated to help you through their language of drawing and language of, draw of painting course. Um, the Muddy Colors blog that I mentioned before and, you know, the, there's a lot of books out there um, that are, you know, a wonderful resource for you to, to use to, you know, really build up your skills as a, as a painter. So, yeah. Amazing. And you were talking about earlier, this body of artwork that you're thinking about uh, moving into creating that you said might take 10 years to create. Is that what you had said? Do you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Oh, sure. Sure. And you know, it's, it's something where, you know, I, I knew that it, painting the still lives wasn't my final spot my final stop in, in what I wanted to do creatively. It, it just, it didn't have the same, um, emotional impact. You know, I, you can't do as much with it, I think, because it's, you know, at the end of the day, it is objects on the shelf and they're, they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful works that are painted, um, and are absolutely dazzling and amazing in still life. But it just wasn't for me, I guess is what I was trying to say. It's, it wasn't where I saw my, my own work going. And it took me, you know, really about a year and a half to understand exactly where I wanted to go and where my heart truly lied. And um, basically, you know, the vision for the work is kind of exploring ideas of love and companionship, loss, um, relationships, and stories and narratives centering about, you know, love stories kind of things. Um, and the settings really have, you know, 
kind of take me back to my roots and things that I love. Um, you know, gardening, beautiful flowers. I love, love, love to visit um, botanical gardens and things like things like that. There's like places of beauty, places that I find very inspiring. And so I want to really work hard to incorporate, you know, those floral aspects in the work. Um, not meaning that they take over the painting, but just, you know, just these delicate little touches here and there. Um, and then I'm also very inspired by, um, let's see, there's some of the fashion designers, um, Zuhair Murad and um, Ellie, I think is her name, <laughs> but the clothing is just amazing. And so I really love just taking tiny little elements of these just prominent fashion designers and, and incorporating it into a costume for the, the woman that is in, you know, that particular painting and designing a clothes, you know, clothing that kind of echo the flowers that I'm putting in there or, you know, other little elements. And then, you know, my love of animals led me to also add, you know, the, just an animal as a symbol, um, like companionship has a polar bear, but it's really a symbol for, you know, her love interest, a man that she is interested in. So I like using the animals as a symbol and, you know, painting the animals is a lot of fun for me, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's where my current work is headed and it's a theme that I feel has endless possibilities. So it's going to take me a long time. I have a whole sketchbook full of ideas that, you know, I know where I'm going and I know what I'm painting for the next probably about 10 paintings for sure. <laughs> so those might only last me about a year, year or so, but, you know, I'm constantly coming up with more ideas. You know, one painting, there might be a small aspect of it that spurs on an idea for another painting to fully kind of explore that narrative that I'm interested in. Well, I hope that you have the most success with all of that because it sounds fantastic and I'm definitely looking forward to keeping up with your artwork and checking out some of the stuff you have coming out. So definitely keep creating. And is it, is there a way that our listeners can find you or get in contact with you? Sure. Sure. Um, there's my website that you mentioned earlier, Beth Sistrunk, um, the last name S I S T R U N K. Uh, it's a hard one to spell com, And then I'm also on Facebook and um, my boards of inspiration are on Pinterest. So if anybody wants to check them out, they're up there. <laughs> All right. And I'll link all those in the show notes as well. And everybody just go out there and make the best, you know, make today the best day of your life because there's really honestly simply no good reason not to. The best way that you can predict your future is just to get out there and create it. And if you have that mindset, you can do anything. You can live without fear. Uh, happiness doesn't revolve around success. When you find that success, it is revolving around your happiness so everybody, give it up for Beth. And Beth, thank you for being the Archerpreneur now. And always remember to keep it funky. Yay. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Archerpreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com.
Keep it funky.